You're listening to Car Seat Questions, a podcast for parents of curious kids. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eddie. And if you're anything like us, you either have a kid or you care for a kid with questions. Questions about all sorts of things. And if you have a kid with questions, you yourself probably have questions like, how do I engage my child on hard topics in a way that is honoring to God and digestible for a developing brain and a childlike spirit? If that's you too, we're glad you're here. We don't have all the answers, and we won't pretend like we do, but we are grateful to know some really smart, godly people whose expertise is in the hearts, minds, and souls of little ones growing up in today's world. So, for the next half hour, hop into the passenger seat, buckle your belt, and become childlike with us as the Lord takes us where He wants us to go. Enjoy the show! Welcome to this episode of Car Seat Questions. We are joined today by Dr. Jamie Ayton. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us today. We're really uh, glad to have you. We're going to talk about a subject that's not so fun and not so light um, as some of our other episodes. I came across um, this topic as I was researching for a radio program that I'm the producer on from uh, Mornings with Brian at Moody Radio Cleveland. I was just like, you know, doing some research, looking at articles after the Nashville shooting. How can we how can we talk about this on air? How can we talk about it with our listeners and look at it from a biblical perspective? And I came across your article and I immediately sent it to our morning show host as well as our producer, M- producer Emma. And I was like, this is really good. This is something we need to cover somewhere. Somebody take it because we need to talk about it somewhere in one of those places. So I first want to say thank you to you and your team for writing this article about how to talk to your kids about school shootings. Um, And thank you for your just care and time of the subject. I know it's hard for a lot of parents to think about and it's kind of easier to not think about. Um, So just thank you to you and for your time and care in writing the article, but also joining us today. Um, before we get started, if you want to share with us a little bit about you, your background, what you do, and how kind of how you came to be writing about this subject. Sure. So I'm glad to be with you all today. I'm a psychologist, and I'm also the founder and co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and also co-founder of Spiritual First Aid, which teaches how to provide peer-to-peer spiritual emotional care. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing work in the space of mass trauma, whether it's natural disasters, mass shooting, shootings, looking at civil conflicts around the globe. My colleague Kent and I, we were just in Ukraine not long ago doing spiritual Mm -hmm. emotional care. So we tend to do a lot of work in really difficult situations, but out of all the different types of events that I've studied over the last 15 years around the globe, I really think it's the school shootings that are the hardest to be able to deal Mm -hmm. with and to know how to navigate that, especially as a parent. So I think it's also important to note that I'm a dad of three, and that's definitely something that's shaped the way I think and approach this type of topic. Yeah, it's hard to like, as parents, you're already so protective of your children, but then when you hear about these things, you're like, I'm never letting go of my child. They're never allowed to leave, but like, that's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for you. And it's not like how the world works. And so I'm really looking forward to just talking with you more about this. Can you kind of give us a general overview of like how you will dig more deeper into like your steps of how to talk to children about school shootings, but just a general overview of that. Like, how would you, a parent comes to you and they're like, I need to talk to my kid about this. This just happened at their school. What w- what advice would you give them? 
I think the first advice would be to have them focus on what they also need to be able to care well mm-hmm. for their child. Because I think it's yeah. really important that we recognize that our kids are like sponges. And if yeah. we're fearful, if we're anxious, if we're stressed, it's likely to be a bit of contagious and for the child to absorb that. So we want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of them well. And then I think the other part of that is making sure that we remind ourselves and the child that we're their parents and they're the child and they don't have to take on a parental role. Mm-hmm. You know, Because I think sometimes we accidentally do that to our kids, especially when we're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was something that stuck out to me immediately when I was reading your article was sometimes like it's, it's not the child's responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Especially like for our um, like emotional health right or emotional responses uh to things like so and sometimes we put that on them and that's not that's not their responsibility at all so that really stuck out to me uh mm-hmm. when first reading your article um so i think sometimes as as parents or as adults we can easily fall into that yeah yeah especially in like a traumatic situation that's involving children you're like no you have to stay here and you have to be with me and we have to just you know rely on each other but they can't they can't handle that, especially when they're younger in like elementary school, like these Nashville elementary school kids. Um, in the article, you talk about uh, one step that is to use appropriate language based on their developmental stage, which is kind of a lot of what we talk about in this podcast actually is how do we take different topics, spiritual topics, theological topics, and make them digestible for different age ranges. So can you share with us what that would look like in this instance, maybe for a elementary schooler versus like a middle schooler, just like the different types of language you can use for them? Sure. You know, I think it really comes down to understanding like where are your kiddos at in their understanding of these events and how are they doing and how are they thinking about it? And to be able to find out some of that information before starting to share some of your own thoughts or recommendations. Mm So I want to give kind of a lighthearted example off topic, and then we'll circle back. I remember one of my kiddos, when they were really young, asked me about Santa Claus, right? And they're like, so I've got some questions, dad. (laughs) How on earth could he be in all these places at once? And she just kind of left the question out there, but something felt off with the way she asked. So I paused and I was like, well, what are your thoughts about it? She's like, well, I'm pretty much 100% sure that he's not real, but I'm just a kid and I'd like to think that he's real for at least a little while longer. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so she really helped tell me exactly yeah. where she was at and even what she needed from me in that moment. And I think on a more serious note, that's we want to take some of those lessons and apply it to this situation about checking in where are they at? What is it they need? How are they thinking about it? How do they understand it? And also to know that. Sometimes like when these events happen, sometimes as parents, even if we don't bring it up, we maybe assume that our kids aren't aware, but they probably are. They've probably seen Mm -hmm. it on social media or they've had friends talking about it at school. So another thing too is to check in like, well, what have you been hearing about these things? Yeah, that's a good point. Is there, what could be maybe a repercussion of not using the right language for your child, like at, at different ages? What could, you know, be something that would maybe be not harmful, but may be confusing to them if you don't use their right type of language for them. Yeah. And I think really 
in terms of thinking about that appropriateness, that we want to be both optimistic, but also realistic, mm-hmm. you know, as we have these com- tough conversations with our kids. But in terms of n- some of the challenges, if we aren't talking to them from where they are developmentally, that it may be that they don't actually just understand what we're trying to tell them mm-hmm. at all, you know, so maybe we think we're giving helpful information and it's just not connecting with them. Yeah. Uh, another kind of problem that could occur here would be that we actually cause them to be a lot more anxious than what they actually are. You know, so maybe we're providing too much information or too much detail um, that they just don't need at this point uh, where, yeah. where they are developmentally. And, and then the other challenge that I've seen that sometimes happens is that the kids will feel responsible in some way for mm-hmm. things that are occurring. So, you know, I think it's much more common, like you'll hear people talking about like when there's a divorce and maybe the child internalizes that somehow they're at fault for what has happened, Mm -hmm. that we also just need to be aware that sometimes our kids can internalize things. So not necessarily that they would have caused a shooting, but maybe they could have done more to help a friend or, you know, so again, we're, we're kind of checking in and just not assuming we know where they're at. Yeah. Yeah, So what do you, what do you think is the difference with the way children are experiencing interpreting these events as opposed to adults experiencing and interpreting what's going on? Well, I think for a lot of kids that, you know, I know a lot of children that just have that general anxiety about Mm -hmm. not if this is going to happen, but when is this going to happen? And so I I think kids Mm -hmm. are feeling it even more so sometimes than what we are as parents. You know, I think also another difference is just our levels of understanding about what is occurring, you know, that, you know, as an adult, we also know, you know, statistically, you know, we can kind of look at those numbers and, and know that by and large, our kids are going to be safe when they go to school and come back. But for kids, if all they're ever hearing or, mm-hmm. you know, is about these events, mm-hmm. it'll also make it seem much more common for them, even though there has been a rise uh, in their occurrences. So I think even just kind of be able to decipher out about, you know, the, the reality of where things are at, how safe or not safe are they, those sorts of issues. Yeah. We're going to link your article into our show notes so that our listeners can read along with that too. Um, and I think the most of it was talking about it after it happens and how to, you know, kind of come back into the center, into your family and talk about it afterwards. Is there anything that would differ in how to prepare your kids before it happens or it's never happened to them, but how to talk to them in preparation for like, hey, I know you've been seeing a lot about it. We've been seeing a lot about these things. It's everywhere on news. How can you talk to them to like prepare them in advance for it if it were, you know, to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I think actually, uh, Lauren, just the way that you even asked that question as an example is exactly what I would recommend. You know, just sitting down and having a conversation of opening it up like we would maybe any other difficult conversation mm-hmm. that, you know, this isn't the type of thing that you want to just spring on, you know, while you're having lunch, you know, yeah. out <laughs> and about at a restaurant, but maybe to let your kids know that, hey, I would like to set aside some special time for us just to talk about as you're maybe wrapping up the school year or going into the new school year mm-hmm. that I know there's been a lot of challenging things that have been happening in schools. And I, as a parent would like to just set aside some time for us just to be able to talk openly about any concerns that you have as mm-hmm. well as some of the concerns that worry me at times. Yeah. So about a month ago, I was having a conversation with a group of people and in the group were kind of a mixture of, uh, either soon to be parents, right? Or uh, myself, who we have, you know, almost three-year-old 
and a baby on the way and then um some who already have children and somebody asked me it's like oh eddie are you are you, you and lauren planning to to put trey into into school and um Laura and I have talked about it and we're like, yeah, like we would want to put him to school. There's a lot of stuff happening right now in our life that we're not going to like, we're going to be living in a new place really soon. So we hadn't talked about what kind of school yet, but I think the general idea was that we would, you know, put our, our children in school. And an immediate response I got with that was just kind of like, wow, you're going to put your kids in school. Like, well, I'm not going to do that because of all these, you know, shootings that are happening. We're just going to homeschool. And so my question for you is, so I, I want our listeners to know that I understand and validate the mm-hmm. fear, right? That's behind that response, 100%. But on the flip side, um, the reality is that that's not an option mm-hmm. for some parents in terms of just resources, right? Or like financial implications. That's mm-hmm. just not possible. So what would kind of be your maybe word of encouragement or kind of like response to that idea of like, well, what do we do now when we think about putting our you know, children in school. Yeah, I think you want to try to make a wise decision and take into account all of those things that you talked about, both about, you know, what is it in terms of resources that we may have or don't have, you know, how do we think about schooling and education and, you know, what's going to be best for our child and for our family overall, that in the same way we would make any major decision that involves our children, I think we want to approach it with that same level of, of care and openness. And when it comes to the parents interacting, you know, I think that's a really good example there about how as parents, we need to care for one another as well, mm-hmm. right? The, the friends or people that you were talking about, were sharing some real concerns that they have. And so I, I'm glad that you were able to be a part of a conversation with them and having those people that you can go to, to talk through those fears and concerns are really helpful so that we don't start having some of these same types of conversations with our children, that the conversations mm-hmm. we have with our children need to be very different than those that we have with peer to peer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I think that conversation was just so vivid in my mind because at least growing up in our family, like, ho- like homeschool wasn't an option for us, mm-hmm. you know? So like I resonated with that. It's just like, well, like, you know, sometimes that's not everyone's reality right where we can just decide to do something just because we like may be able to do it you know like we we had no choice but to like actually attend school so um yeah i thought it was just a very interesting conversation and like you mentioned i'm glad that we had it because Mm -hmm. it just gave all of us i think a lot just to think about and it gave us an opportunity to care you know for for one another without bashing one another about what we want to do in terms of you know our child's education Yeah. And I think, like you said, Jamie, sometimes for the kid, maybe homeschooling isn't the best option for them or even for the parent. Like what if that's not their gifting and or they're having a hard time with it or the kid just needs, you know, something else, someone different, someone new to teach them. It's just sometimes you just don't always have that opportunity. And I think I'm also learning to have a lot of grace and being open-minded of like, hey, parents and families have different like options and resources and they have to do it like the best they can with those things and make those decisions because like shootings don't just happen at schools, (laughs) you know, like they happen at all kinds of places. And so if we start to put that lens on everything, then we're never going to go anywhere and we're never going to do anything. We're just going to like live in fear and just be stuck in our homes. And I don't think that's what we're called to do as Christians is to be stuck in our homes and just, I need to protect my own little family unit and we're never going to go anywhere or do anything, but we are called to go out into the world. And sometimes that is scary. 
and especially in today's world with mass shootings and, you know, even natural disasters and things like that. Like it is scary to go out, but sometimes we have to, you know, and I think it's what we're called to do as well. Do you um, think that there is a way for Christians to be set apart in talking about this to their kids in to be like different from maybe like the secular world? Like how is it different? How should we be handling it differently than the secular world? Well, you know, I think one of the things as Christian parents that we can offer our children that others may not be able to is that we can offer the hope of Christ that we have Mm -hmm. and for them to be able to know that God loves them during these difficult times and that they're never alone, no matter what type of circumstance they, they find themselves in. And so I've often found it very helpful to try to think about what are those kind of normal rhythms that we have as a family, both Mm -hmm. the everyday kind of mundane things of chores and, you know, working on dishes or that sort of thing, but also keeping the spiritual rhythms alive as well during challenging times about, you know, Mm. if we regularly are praying together as a family, or is it maybe that you're reading the Bible at night with your child, that especially when times are difficult, we need to keep doing those things. But oftentimes what I've found is when we, especially as parents, get the more stressed or overwhelmed we feel, the things that have helped our families most, we sometimes actually stop doing them. You know, we start Mm. to instead isolate ourselves when we need to be actually spending more time with one another. Or, you know, making sure that if church is always a priority, that we're still going every Sunday, not going less, right? That we need to keep those spiritual rhythms alive. Yeah. Is there, so if this were to say like this, this were to happen in in your child's school and they are safe and they are home, how can we walk our child through like the grief of that and maybe even the fear of going back to school? Yeah. And that is a question that's, that's a hard question for every parent. And the answer will, will vary greatly from, you know, parent to parent and child to child and situation to situation that I wish I had the, here Mm -hmm. is the one way to do it. But instead I can offer, I think some kind of guidance in terms of some broad kind of rules of thumb to keep in mind. One is to really center the care on the child, you know, Mm -hmm. to understand, you know, their unique personality, how they're made up emotionally, because that's going to vary a lot, Mm -hmm. right? But as a parent, it's really about what they need from you is not to suddenly become a psychologist. You don't have Mm -hmm. to become a first responder. What they Mm -hmm. need you to be is to be a parent and to love them. And so it's really just kind of going above and beyond some of the ways that you probably already express care to your child. So making sure that you spend extra time with them, that if they feel anxious about being alone, well then stay with them if that's what they need, or maybe they need to um, be around other friends more often, or, you know, to really just kind of ask the child, like, what is it they need? What is it that's comforting to them? And Mm -hmm. to let them know also that you as a parent are doing what you can to help protect them and to help love them and to care for others. Mm Mm-hmm. One of your points in your article was about doing something like taking action, whether that's, you know, giving to an organization or um, things like that. What are some ways that you would suggest that even if a family hasn't been through a school shooting, but just preparing um, just to have like as those things are part of our life right now? What are some what are some of your suggestions to how to do something to get involved in about this? 
Yeah, so there's a number of ways I think that people can get involved. You know, one is by having these tough conversations with our mm-hmm. children and also to look for opportunities to help strengthen our children and prepare them in ways before the negative happens, mm-hmm. right? So just kind of thinking about that, you know, we know that one of the biggest predictors to helping children through these difficult times is that they have positive spiritual support in their lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, the research shows that and we've done studies, for instance, after a mass shooting in Oregon, now this was with uh, mm-hmm. junior college students, but we found that one of the biggest predictors of resilience was having positive spiritual support in their mm-hmm. life. So helping them to strengthen their friendships, helping them to strengthen the family unit. Um, Also then thinking about, you know, what are other ways that you can teach them coping skills before they have to use coping skills? So again, Mm -hmm. kind of the more that we can do to help just our children to develop healthy rhythms and healthy skills in their day-to-day life, then it's to help pivot those in times of an emergency. So we, we don't have to always have these difficult conversations either. You know, we, we can look for, you know, the child who, you know, strikes out at a baseball game and they're really struggling to figure out how to contain, how to deal with those emotions, right? Mm-hmm. That we can, as a parent, speak into those moments so that when things are really difficult, that they're better prepared for them. So I, I think in some ways that we almost want to learn how to think about how to pivot as parents, you know, mm-hmm. to think about how do we do what we do and do it well so that we can then help them pivot when there mm-hmm. is an emergency. Yeah. Have you seen families be able to come out of a tragedy like this and to be able to come out for lack of a better term, like on top to come out, not unscathed, but to come out healthy and be able to move on from things like this? You know, so whenever I think about things, especially something as tragic as a school shooting, I often like to remind people that you're having uh, a normal response Mm -hmm. to an abnormal event, right? So there's not, again, one way for it to look on the other side of this. And I think it's actually important to know that, you know, over time, the majority of kids when they go through a major mass tragedy, the majority will within about a year's time start to have reduced kind of maybe behaviors and concerns that we might notice in our children. But also to know that for many children, this will be something that they would carry on with them. Mm -hmm. But the more that we can do to provide these positive experiences. So there's um, been a long ongoing study called the ACEs research, and it stands for adverse um, experiences within kids. And so what they've done is they've been able to show that when a child has, you know, numerous traumatic events before the age of 16, that it can take a toll on their overall physical and emotional and spiritual health. But they've also more recently done a new series of studies, and they have found that when you counter that with positive experiences between the child with an adult in their life who's a loving, caring adult, that it helps to drastically reduce those negative impacts long term. Mm-hmm. So again, that's kind of where what I'm leaning on when I was sharing earlier about what our kids really need us to do is to be parents and yeah. to be loving parents to them in those moments. And for us as parents to know that that is one of the most powerful things that we can do. You know, we've done studies all over the globe after all kinds of different events. And when somebody feels that somebody came along and walked with them and sat with them in those difficult times, time and time again, we see that that's associated with better resilience. Mm. So with, with all that we've talked about today, what is one thing you would want every kid to know 
when it comes to school shooting and again either preparedness or the uh what comes after that what was one what is one thing you would want every kid to know I think I would want children to be able to know that their parents love them and that their parents are making decisions to try to keep them as safe as possible and that God still loves them and mm-hmm. that God is able to redeem the suffering that we may experience in this life. That's good. Well, thank you, Jamie, so much for tackling this topic with us, but also on, you know, in articles and in your research and studies. Um, I just really appreciate you being able to do that and taking your time to do that for parents and for those who experience traumatic events. Um, so for our listeners, every episode or episodes drop every Wednesday. So be sure to t- tune back in next Wednesday. Subscribe wherever you find your podcast. So that'll drop right into your podcast feed. You don't even have to do anything else. It just drops right there. Um, thank you again, Dr. Jamie Atten, for joining us. Um, we will put all of your uh, your article in our show notes so people can find it there. And are there other places uh, on the interwebs where <laughs> people can find you? I know you've written a couple of books and have mm-hmm. posted on different um, outlets. Um, yeah, you know, two resources I think that would probably be most helpful for parents. One is that coming up in October, we're collaborate Spiritual First Aid's collaborating with Hope Made Strong and also uh, Biola University putting on our, it'll be the third spiritual, excuse me, third church mental health summit. And so it's a free online summit. So we had around 5,000 people register for that last year. So it's a free resource. There's 50 speakers that'll be there and you can go ahead and register now. If you just go to church mental health summit um, and look for that online. Another place is to check out Spiritual First Aid. So if you go to spiritualfirstaid.org, at the bottom of the page, you can actually download a free resource that helps guide you through what to say and what not to say when helping others. That's awesome. Jamie, thank you again so much for joining us today. Uh, With all of our episodes, we like to end with a benediction. Um, So if you'd please join us for that. To him who is able to do far more than we can understand, May he give us the wisdom to raise our children to first love God above all else and love others as themselves. Go in peace. Thank you, and thank you to our listeners. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.